We've got a lot to cover. We've been in this series I'm calling Joyride. We're taking Joyride through Philippians. It's one of my favorite books of the whole Bible, and it gets me amped up every time. And today we're in our second, our second week in chapter 2. This is week 4. We're going to spend three weeks in chapter 2. We'll finish up chapter 2 next week. Um, and I want us to look at how to have a joyful heart or how to have a happy heart in spite of all the things that happen to us in life. Life can be hard. You have pandemics. You have relational situations. You have kids. That throws a wrench in everything. You have uh, health, health situations, um, financial, uh, professional situations. Life is a lot of ups and downs in life, isn't it? How do you keep your heart full of joy in spite of everything that's going on in the world around you, in spite of the polarization that we see, the conflict that we see, and that we're in everywhere? So we're looking at verses 12 through 18 of Philippians chapter 2. And um, this is another powerful passage. As I said, the thing about Philippians that I love, especially in teaching it, every week it gets better and better. This week's message, because this week's passage, last week was awesome, but this week's message, it's just so much better than last week. And next week is better than this week, and the week after is even better. Um, I, until you get to chapter 4, which has to be one of the greatest chapters in the whole Bible, if you're writing down the top 10 chapters in the Bible, it's like Ephesians 1, Romans 8, um, Philippians 4, John 15, those are all the, like the, they are the top, top, top chapters. And, um... So this year, I'm giving chapter 4, the beginning of chapter 4, which is one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible, to Pastor Rich. He's going to be teaching when I'm on vacation um, after VBS, and it's uh, like the last Sunday this month, and it's just to prove to everybody, you know, Pastor Rich, he always ends up drawing, anytime we teach on adultery or sex or, you know, Rich is there going, I got adultery again, you know, and I know people think I do it on purpose. He thinks I do it on purpose. You know, and um, and I planned this a long time ago, and I got my vacation wrong, so I'm gonna just let him go ahead and keep it, even though uh, no, I'm only kidding. It's it's uh, that's you know what Philippians four is right. Philippians four is don't worry about anything, pray about everything, and all things give thanks. It's a piece of passage understanding. It ends with Philippians four thirteen, which is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's like the greatest passage to preach. And I'm giving it to my friend, Rich Brashears, in a couple of weeks, right? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, he wasn't even in here when I said that. I said, is, he back, is he back there now? Okay, he's back there this time. <laughs> he wanted to, he, people told him he wanted to hear it for himself. Here's my point. This is one of those books of the Bible. Every, every sentence gets better than the last. It is an incredible study. So, don't miss next week. We're going to be kicking off VBS. Don't miss VBS week. I've strategized for one of the best messages in the whole year is going to hit on VBS week because we have a lot of new families that are here. And then Pastor Rich is going to talk about stress the week after that. So you don't want to miss any of these. If you And if you do miss, make sure you tune in online. I know we have well over 100 people watching online uh, this morning. Thank you for uh, letting me know that you're here. And uh, we're glad that you're, whether you're on vacation or on a cruise ship or wherever you're at, uh, we're glad that you're, uh, you're tuning in. Um, today we're going to talk about our hearts. And Paul gives us, well, not only does it give us the way that we lose our joy, but he, uh, 
he also gives us the antidote to losing your joy. So he's going to give us five heart-healthy habits that, uh, that we're going to talk about. Five cures of losing your joy or losing your happiness in life. So let me read you the scripture and then we'll, then we'll break it down. This is Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 18. It'll be on the screen behind me. It'll, it's also at the top of your outline. and It'll be on your devices if you're watching uh, remotely. He says, Paul writes, it says, Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, it's even more important. Remember, he's writing from prison to the church in Philippi that he planted as a church planter. He was their first pastor. And he says... You guys always followed my instructions when I was there being your pastor. And now that I'm away from you, it's even more important for you to follow those instructions. And here he gives them to him again. He says, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean Innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then, on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy. Now, the key verse to this passage is the second half of verse 12 and verse 13, where it says, Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. And I've read all of you all of that in the NLT, the New Living Translation. That's the, the one that we use. If there's not a reference, it's always the NLT and um, that's the one where we used to have Bibles on the trays in front of you. That was That's the NLT. We stopped doing that at COVID, and people were like, okay with that. But we have a stack of Bibles in back if you want to use one of those to write your notes on like some of you do. Or if you need a Bible, and you can take one of our Bibles. They're only like six bucks. The church says we have rooms full of them. Take one. If you'll read it in microscopic print because we only paid $6 for it. If you'll read it, take it with you. Um, but most of you should already have all of God's Word in the Bible app. I've told you that before. The YouVersion Bible app is the easiest and best way. And then they will read it to you with music and emphasis and whatever accent you choose um, and whatever translation. But you should pick NLT if you're, if you're just getting started. But I want to give you this verse in the NIV version, the New International Version. NIV versions on a little bit higher kind of college level, reading level. Um, but I love the wording, the phrasing that's in this NIV. Um, let me read it to you. It says, continue to work out, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. And I want you to circle two phrases in that, in that uh, verse. Circle work out, continue to work out, circle work out, and circle the phrase work in. God who works in. You see, in our life, God has a part and we have a part in our spiritual growth. It has to go together. God has a part and we have a part in our spiritual growth. God's part is to work in. 
He's to work, he, to work in us, to work in our salvation. Our part is to work out. Now, what does it mean to work out your salvation? Well, first of all, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. What it doesn't say. It doesn't say for, does it? Big difference. It says in, not, it says work out, not for. Big difference. Because you cannot work for your salvation. You cannot earn your salvation. You can't buy your salvation. You will never deserve your salvation. So he doesn't say to work for your salvation, like work really hard and then you'll be saved. That's not what the Bible teaches. In fact, the Bible teaches the explicit opposite of that. In Ephesians verse two, eight, chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, it says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. And what Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus is he's saying, look, if we could work for our salvation, then people would be bragging about themselves in heaven. Nobody's going to be bragging in heaven. Nobody in heaven is going to be saying, well, I gave a bunch of money to the church. That's why I'm in heaven. Well, I built an orphanage in Haiti. That's why I, I'm here. Well, I took several mission trips all around the globe. That's why nobody's going to be bragging in heaven. They're not going to be bragging on themselves because we don't work for, we don't earn our salvation. He doesn't say that. What he says is we work out what God works in. God works in the salvation and we work it out. So what does that mean? Like when you work out a puzzle, do any of you put puzzles together? Nancy and I, whenever we go to the mountains, we always do many, many puzzles, many we can put together. Sometimes we will... We'll do a puzzle and we'll be praying through our prayer list as we're doing the puzzle. It's great. It's a great prayer mechanism um, for us. But do any of you, has any of you made your own puzzle? I mean, why would you make, do you create your own puzzle? I mean, they're, they're $9.99 at, at Walmart. They're already pre-cut into 500, 1,000, or 2,000 pieces. Why would he, no, you don't make your own puzzle. You work out a puzzle. What does it mean to work out a puzzle? It means you put all the little pieces together. Hopefully you don't lose one or two at the end. You put all your little pieces together, and at the end of the 500,000, God forbid, 2,000, you now can see the big picture, right? Hopefully it looks exactly like the box or the piece of, 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 of paper, that the picture that they put inside of it. You're working out the puzzle. Same thing when you go to the gym. I won't ask you how. I asked you how many do puzzles, but I won't ask you how many go to the gym. When you go to the gym, do you create a muscle to work to work out, or create a muscle that's not there? Anybody? No. God is the only one that creates muscle, right? You can't. You can't go online, pull out your phone, go to Amazon, down. You can go. I need muscle. You know. I want muscles. Now, some of you, you can order muscles, but it's a mollusk. It's a, it, it, it's a shellfish, right? It's, it's not what we're talking about. The human body, the muscles, they're already made by God. You don't get to make a muscle. You only go to the gym to work out the muscle that God's already built in or worked in to your body. 
So when you go to the gym, you already have muscle. Now, it doesn't look like you have muscle because sometimes our muscles, when we start at the gym, they're all scrawny or they're all flabby. But there's muscle under all that, right? There's muscle that's there. And you work it out, but you don't create the muscle. Only God does that. So you have to work out what God has already worked into you. Here's the key. I want you to write it down. I'm to work out what God works in. We fill that in. I'm to work out what God works in. Now, a few years ago, I read this article about heart health. Um, And this article said, if you really want to have strong coronary health, you want to have strong cardiovascular health, these are the five exercises that the American Heart Association recommends. They're treadmill, swimming pool, stretching, weightlifting, and aerobics classes. And you don't even have to do all of them. If you just do a couple of those, it will severely improve uh, your heart health. Now, I don't want to talk to you today about having a healthy heart, but I want to talk to you about having a joyful heart and a happy heart. How do I have a joyful heart? The workout for a joyful heart is different than the workout for a physical healthy heart. But in this passage that we just read, what we find is Paul's workout strategy, his workout plan, his five daily exercises for a joyful heart. And uh, let me just let you know that these are the five. I've, I've got it on your outline there. It says five exercises for a joyful heart. He gives us these five things as we're going through Philippians. One of the things I like is that it's such a simple and straightforward book. Um, But just because it's simple doesn't mean it's easy. And what I mean by that is the things that we're going to look at today, you're not going to go, oh, I've never heard of that before. Oh, my goodness, that's like new information. No, you're going to actually go, well, yeah, no kidding. Or that makes sense. Or I've heard this before. Just because it's simple doesn't mean it's easy. In fact, these things are hard for us to do. We often know the right things to do for physical health, don't we? Does everybody know what you've got to do to be healthy? You've got to eat right. You've got to exercise. You've got to drink lots of water. You've got to get lots of rest. That's not hard to understand, but it's really hard to do. That's why a lot of us, we know we're supposed to eat right and exercise and get rest, drink lots of water. But we're not healthy because we just don't do it consistently enough. We know the right things to do, but do we do them? No. Well, it's the same way when it comes to being emotionally, spiritually joyful in your heart or happy in your heart. You can hear these things. You can know these things. You can have told people these things, but you can still not do them. So let's make it our goal, if we want to have a joyful heart or keep our heart joyful, to figure out how do I incorporate not just one of these into our daily routine, but how do we get all of them into our daily, into our weekly habits and routine. The first one I want you to write down is if I'm going to have a joyful heart, the first thing I need to remember is that God is with me, that God is in me, and that God is for me. I need to remember that God is with me, he's in me, and he's for me. And the first verse that we get this from is verse 13, which basically tells us that God is with us. And we talk about him being with us often. And the reason we, you know why we talk about it so much here at SCC? You know why we talk about God being with us so many Sundays in a row? So many times we talk about God. It's because it's in the Bible everywhere you turn. 
Have you read, has your pastor ever encouraged you to read your Bible? If you read your Bible, you'll see he promises to be with us over and over and over and over again. Usually it's like, fear not, I am with you. Fear not, I am with you. Don't be afraid. God's with me, kind of a thing. And I want to tell you that once again, no matter what you're facing this week, no matter what you're going to face the rest of July, no matter what you're going to face in the third quarter, no matter what you're going to face for the rest of 2022, maybe it's financial strife or professional strife or marital strife or relational strife with your kids. Maybe it's physical problems with your health. No matter what you're going to face, please hear me loud and clear. Hear God's word loud and clear. God is with you. You are not going to face it alone. He is with you, he is in you, and he is for you. Verse 13, Philippians 2 says, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power. Circle that word power. Circle the word working and circle the word power. God is giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Let's break that down. It says God is working. Do you know that the word working there is the word, the Greek word energos, which we get the English word energy from? And what Paul is saying is God is the energy driving your life. So he's saying you're not just doing it. In fact, that's why it talks about power there. The word dynamite. God is giving you explosive power to do what pleases him. What he has purposed for you to do. That you don't just do it on your own willpower. That you just don't do it on your own power. God says, no, no, no. I'm going to give you the power. I'm working the power into your life that's going to allow you to do the things that I need you to do, that I want you to do, no matter what you're facing in life, because I am with you. I am in you. He says that I am in you. Then he also says he's with us, and Jesus is the one who says this. Um, John 14. Remember, anytime we read from John 14, John 15, John 16... That's Jesus on the night that he was betrayed. Anytime we hear the last words of Jesus, those to me are like, tune in. This is like, all right, I'm, I'm going to be crucified tomorrow. Let me get this last little bit in. All you guys write this down. And John writes it down. And, and, and that's why it's so important. Look what Jesus says on the night that he's betrayed. He says, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. You will know that. You are in me, and I am in you. I just picked out a few words that he says in those, in those three verses. Quite a promise. God says, not only am I with you, I'm in you. He's with us, he's in us, and the Bible also says he's for us. Romans 8, which is one of the great chapters of the Bible too. Romans 8, 31 says, if God is for us, who can ever be against us? What a great verse. God says, I'm not just with you, I'm in you. I'm not just with you and in you, I'm for you. So I've got to ask you the question. Do you ever feel the smile of God on your life? Do you ever feel like, whoo, God is, I mean, we just sang million little miracles. One, two, three, four. I can't even count them all. But I, I, I've been a pastor a long time, and I've met a lot of, of people who've come through our doors who honestly in their life, they're seeing or hearing those words thinking, I don't know. I don't know if any miracles ever happened in my life. 
And maybe that's you today. Maybe you've, honestly, you would say, yeah, I don't know of any miracles in my life. I can't even count one, two, three, or four. Or maybe you grow up in a religious system like I grew up in a religious system where what you could have learned from all those around you is that God is out to get you. He is not for you. He is, he is like an angry parent. He's up there with a lightning bolt. He's ready to blow up your car or he's ready to blow up your washing machine if you don't give enough money to the offering plate. Boom, there you know. And, and, and if you grew up with that was your God, I just got to tell you, no, 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 no. That's not the God of Scripture. Maybe you grew up afraid of God, and every morning you wake up and you run from God. And God doesn't want you to run from Him or be afraid of Him. God's the good, good Father. He wants you to run toward Him in this crazy world that we live in. So God is not just with you and not just in you. He is for you. He is cheering you on. He is on your side. So if you grew up like I grew up Catholic and Southern Baptist. What a combination. As a Catholic, I learned it's all my fault. And as a Southern Baptist, I learned, and you're going to hell. It's all my fault, and I'm going to hell. That's what I learned at church growing up. That is true. Both of those are true. Those aren't false. They're true. It's all my fault, and I am going out. But that's not the good news. That's the bad news. I understand it's part of the gospel. But sometimes you can grow up in a religious system that all you hear is it's all your fault. And all you hear is, and you're going to hell. And you come up, uh, you grow up in that afraid of an angry God who's out to get you. And that is not the God who sent his son and gave up everything to redeem this world and redeem you and offers you grace and offers you forgiveness. And he says, come to me. Even the little children come to me. So if you're here and, and, and you don't, here's what I'm saying. If you don't ever feel the smile of God in your life, maybe you don't know God. Maybe you know of a God that was talked about but you don't know the creator of the universe who loves you so much that he sacrificed and gave his only son because he loves you as much as he loves Jesus. That sounds blasphemous. Blasphemous. Pastor, how could God love me as much as he loved Jesus? Read Romans 8, that great chapter of the Bible. It's all in there. I can't teach Romans 8. I should do a whole series on Romans 8. All right, so God says, in fact, here's the exercise. Listen, you want to change your life tomorrow? Here, here's how to change it. You apply this, this point, this scripture tomorrow. And you wake up and you just say this. Say, God, before you get out of bed, you wake up and you say, God, I want to thank you that you are with me, that you are in me, and you are for me. You do that tomorrow. You do that Tuesday. You do that Wednesday. You do that every day for the next 25 weeks. I think there's 25 Sundays left in this year. You do that every single day for the next 25 weeks, I promise you, your life will be changed by Christmas. If you could acknowledge and thank God, God, thank you, you are with me, thank you, you are in me, thank you, you are for me, you just do that one thing, it'll change your life, I promise you, by Christmas. How good is that good news? That God is with me, God is in me, and God is for me. And you know what? If God is with me, and if God is, is in me, and if God is for me, then what am I in the what in the world am I doing depressed? What in the world am I doing sad? Why so downcast? Oh my soul. That brings me to the second habit to maintain a healthy heart. 
Oh, this one's hard. It's easy to understand, but hmm. Number two, I need to be grateful and never grumble. I need to be grateful and never grumble. You could probably circle every word. This is a hard, hard habit to break because we are negative by nature. And we are conditioned to be negative by culture. And look, it's not, it's not your fault that you're negative by nature and that you're conditioned to be negative by culture. It really isn't. You know where it started? All the way back to Genesis chapter 3. You remember when you started reading your Bible in January? About January 2nd, you probably read Genesis 3. That's the part where Adam and Eve deal with the serpent and the apple. I'm not going to teach all that, but you remember Adam's response? Adam's response is what we've been doing ever since. We excuse and accuse. Remember what Adam said? Oh, not me. It's that woman you gave me. Right? There's only two people on the planet, and Adam figures out how to, how to blame two people and keep himself innocent. There's only two people on the planet. And Adam's like, it's not my fault. It's that woman. You get, he blames Eve and God at the same time. And we've been doing the same thing ever since. We excuse and we accuse. We excuse our sin. Let's call it mistakes because y'all like that better. We excuse our mistakes and we accuse everyone else of all of their mistakes. We hide like Adam did and we hurl the insults. We blame others for the problems in our lives. Like I talked about with the when and then thinking a couple weeks ago. If, if this, then I'll be happy. If just this would happen, then I'll be happy. We do the same thing on the negative side. We said, if I just, if I just had a different husband, then I'd be happy. If I just had a different wife, then I'd be happy. If I had just never gotten married, then I'd be happy. If we would have just had kids, then we'd be happy. Have you met anybody with kids? You know, sign up for preschool. We'll make you happy. Okay? If, if my kids would just move out now that they're four in their 40s, then I'd be happy. You know, this, you, know why, you know why old people move to Florida, don't you? Is to get rid of their basements and their 40-year-olds. That's why everybody, we don't have basements in Florida. That's why everybody moves here. It's like, I can't get this video game playing 41-year-old out of my basement. We're going, to, we're going to Boca, right? And they move down here. That's exactly the strategy. Now, really, for those of you watching online, we're closed. Florida's full, okay? I'm only kidding. They're building apartments behind my house. They'll be ready probably in a year. So here's the deal. That's, that's winning and thinking. We're always blaming somebody else for our, for our problems. It's our nature. It's not your fault. It goes back to grandpa, grandpa, grand, great, 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 granddaddy Adam, okay? Here's the truth. We are as happy as we choose to be. We're as happy as we choose to be. We can't blame everybody else for our unhappiness because happiness is a choice. So we have to stop excusing and stop accusing, stop fretting, stop fighting over the small stuff. Philippians 2, 14 and 15 says, Do everything without complaining and arguing so no one can criticize you. That may be one of the most difficult verses in the whole Bible to do. Would you agree that do everything, everything without complaining or arguing so no one can criticize you? Because we are a people of complainers. We are murmurers. Read the Old Testament. 
We're like, if I was Moses, I would abandon those murmuring, those griping and complaining Israelites. We all read the Old Testament. That's what we think. We think those ungrateful murmurers. I'd have been praying, Lord, open up the ground and suck up some more. You know, just drop them in quicksand. Be glad I wasn't Moses. Amen, my mom says. (laughs) Yep. I'd be a bad Moses. The Bible says we want to be happy and joyful. Well, then we've got to stop grumbling and complaining. Never grumble. And we've got to learn to be grateful. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one will criticize you. Hey, you, if that verse doesn't scare you, let me give you one that will make you shake in your boots. I hate this verse. I don't hate it, but you, you, you're going to – let me read it to you. Then, then, then you argue. You're not supposed to do any arguing or complaining according to the other verse. This verse is Jesus, our Savior. He says in Matthew 12, oh, man. Jesus says, and I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. That sin shivers up my spine. I mean, how many times have I complained? Have I grumbled? Have I argued about something? Have I had idle, idle, idle words when I shouldn't have been sweating the small stuff? You know the law of life, right? One of the law, the number one law of life is don't sweat the small stuff. And the number two law is, it's all small stuff. The Bible says this in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Now, I have people, because I'm the pastor, people ask me all the time, Pastor, Pastor, I don't know what God's will is for my life. What is, I want to know what God's will is for my life. What is God's will for my life? There it is. In everything, give thanks. Be thankful in all circumstances. Really? Yes, that's God's will. If you're a Christ follower, that's God's will. It says it right there. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ. If you don't belong to Jesus Christ, you don't have to do this one. But if you're a Christ follower, then he says be thankful in all circumstances. Circle that word in. And once you are, then God will give you part B, the next step for the plan for for your life. Now notice it doesn't say for. It doesn't say be for everything, give thanks. It says, in everything, give thanks. It doesn't be thankful for all circumstances. It says, be thankful in all circumstances. There's a lot of things that we shouldn't be thankful for that I'm not thankful. I'm not thankful for war. You see what's going on in Ukraine right now? I'm not thankful for leukemia or for cancer. I hate cancer. I'm not thankful for people who get raped or molested or abused. I'm not thankful for racial injustice. I'm not thankful for, for school shooting or school shooters. There's a lot of evil in this world. And to be thankful for evil is a perversion of the word of God or what God teaches in his word. The Bible doesn't say that we're supposed to be thankful for everything. The Bible says we're supposed to be thankful in every circumstance. No matter how dark the world gets, we as Christ followers, this is God's will, we're to be thankful in every situation, because in that Greek chapter, one of the greatest chapters of the Bible, Romans 8:28, is where we read, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Not everything in life is good, but God can work good out of every situation for all of us who love him and are called according to his purpose. You should have that verse memorized. I, we talk about it so often. 
So in everything I can give thanks because if I respond correctly, God can, in my life, he can turn crucifixions into resurrections. He can do another miracle to add to the million little miracles. One, two, three, four. I can't even count them all. In other other words, give thanks in every situation means I've got to be grateful and never grumble. Here's a question. Do you think that that could change your life if you if we could do you think you would be happier? Do you think you would be more joyful if if right after you prayed and said, "Okay, God, I want to thank you for being with me and being in me and being for me." You also said to God, "And God, I am grateful for all of these things in my life and don't cry, don't complain and grumble." This is a daily exercise if we want to have a healthy, joyful heart. Third thing, this is a big one. I need to keep my conscience clear. Keep my conscience clear. Because one of the things that causes us to lose joy, lose happiness in our heart, is when we feel guilty and when we feel ashamed. And the Bible says if we want to be joyful, if we want to um, have joy in our heart, we've got to get rid of the guilt. We cannot be guilty and joyful at the same time. We cannot feel shame and joy at the same time. Philippians 2:15 says we need to keep a clear conscience. So it says live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Now that was written 2,000 years ago, but do we still have any crooked or perverse people still around on the planet? Have you figured this out? We live in a... Crooked and perverse generation. Hmm, apparently they did in the first century as well. The world is still crooked and perverse. And it's because of this. Human nature doesn't change. Human nature hasn't changed since the garden. Yeah, 6,000 6, years of human nature. And it isn't going to change, by the way. Everything else changes. Technology changes. You know, you're, you, you, you carry on your phone a computer bigger than they sent people to the moon 50 years ago. Right? Te- technology changes. Knowledge changes. You can put more on a thumb drive now than they had in the Library of Congress 100 years ago. Technology changes. Science changes. People worship science. Oh, it's about the science. Listen, science changes all the time. The whole, the whole theory of science, the scientific method, is all about change. Scientific method. Don't you remember from, like, science class? You know, you take a hypothesis. You test the hypothesis. You run an experiment. And you have a control group and a, and a variable group. And you figure, oh, and whatever happens, you change science based on the hypothesis. To ch- Science has never been static it's always changing now so every now and then science finds out oh the bible was true written 2000 years ago who knew kind of a thing i want to tell the scientists if you would just read your bibles you know everything changes but human nature doesn't change that's why he's saying in a crooked and perverse in a dark world Live such a clean life, 
a life of such integrity, if we would live a life of such integrity, a life that's so clean, a life of such purity, if we lived a life with such a clear conscience, with such authenticity, and that your life would be an open book, that the world would look at your life and say, whoa! They would look at it and say, your life is like a bright light and a shining star. It's like, do you remember when you were, you remember when you fell in love, guys, and you went, and you went shopping. Do you remember they used to have these things called jewelry stores, right? Before Amazon, okay. And and you would you would go to a jewelry store when you wanted to get engaged. You wanted to look at, you know, diamonds and engagement rings, and and you'd pick out something that looked. I mean, you could barely see it. It was so small down in that in that jewelry case. And you would say, "Can I see that one?" No, 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 that one. The cheaper one, that one. And 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 he would bring it out before the jeweler would put the the diamond out for you to see, what would he do? Remember what he'd do? He would open up some kind of piece of black velvet, right? And then he would take that little tiny diamond that was down there, and he'd take it, and he'd put it on that black velvet, and boom! It would be like, oh, we can't afford that. Because when you take that little diamond, and you put it on this black, dark, you know, piece of felt or piece of velvet it just it just explodes and it catches all the light and it just shines bright like and she's like that's the one that's the one and you're like it's one 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 there's two too, too many zeros in this one you know that's because when you put it on that black piece of velvet it shines so bright because of how dark it Listen, same way, same way in the world, the Christian life. The darker our culture gets, the darker this world gets, the more black it gets and night it gets. Our Christian life that's living right, that's living authentically, that's following God's word and our Savior, it shines, boom, brighter than the noonday sun. It shines like, boom, a bright, shining star. That's what it says here, like shining like bright lights in a world full of dark, crooked, perverse people. Let me show you another verse that says the same thing. Psalm 119, verse 1 and 2. Joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey His laws and search for Him in all their hearts. He says, I've got to keep a clear conscience and to do that, that means I have to have short accounts with God. That means at the end of the day, I've got to say to God, God, before I go to bed tonight, is there anything, is there any garbage I picked up in my life? Is there anything that's coming between me and you? I don't want to climb into my bed with a whole lot of garbage in my life because I picked that up from bad attitudes and bad reactions and bad words and bad thoughts and, and, and things that I've said and things that I've done. God, is there anything between me and you that I need to that I need to confess and that I need to ask for forgiveness for because I don't want to go to bed with a big bag of garbage in my, in my bed. You know what happens when you sleep with a big bag of garbage? It stinks. Life stinks. Now, I've got to tell you, some people I meet all the time, they say, well, God never answers my prayers. I just say, you're praying the wrong prayers. If you would ask God at the end of the day, God, remind me of any sins that I've committed today that I need to confess, I, he answers that. Okay? You ask him. Get out a pen. He might say, you need more paper than that. And I know you're like, well, Jerry, this will take forever. Well, it might take forever the first night. That's why you've got to keep a short account. 
I'm only dealing with today's sins. Why? Because I dealt with yesterday's sins yesterday. And I get a clear conscience. And and when when you breathe out the sins and confession, and you breathe in His forgiveness, because God says if we confess with our mouth our sins, He's faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's promised to give us a clear conscience. I mean, how bad would your house stink if you only took your trash out once a week? You know, at our house, the trash gets taken out like every day. We have these automatic things. Every time I go, it's like, oh, it's empty again. You know, because Nancy takes the trash out to the garage every single day. And then she wheels it out to the road twice a week. And when they don't come on 4th of July, whoo, our garage smelled a lot this week, right? 100 degrees, and they didn't come on 4th of July. Imagine what your life would smell like. What your house would smell like if you only took the trash out once a week. It's the same thing in your life. So God says, confessing your sins, asking him to cleanse you, to clear your conscience, to recognize that was wrong and I'm sorry. He forgives you. That gives you a more joyful heart. Number four, got to keep cranking. We're almost out. Oh, this is the one everybody says is so hard, but it's not that hard. The fourth habit, so you have a joyful heart, is I need to memorize God's Word and live it. Not only does do we need to read our, our Bibles, but we need to memorize some of God's Word. You don't have to memorize the whole thing. Okay, You don't have to memorize all 66 books. You don't have to memorize the order of the books. But there are some verses that are so important. By the way, I give you about 20 to 25 verses every single week on this outline. I would encourage you to take home this outline and circle one key verse and memorize that. And some of them I repeat over and over again, like Romans 8.28, half of it's on here today. And probably 30 times this year you'll get Romans 8.28. You, you go through all the, you'll, you'll see it over and over and over again. You'll see the same verses. Those are the verses that you should be memorizing. So you should be hiding them in your heart. Because here's the thing, I've told you many times, if, if, if you're acting depressed, it's because you're feeling depressed. And if you're feeling depressed, it's because you're thinking de- depressing thoughts. Not necessarily your, your fault. You've got the devil kind of on your shoulder. He's kind of whispering in your ear. He's in your head. And the devil's saying things like, you're no good, you're no good, you're no good. You're, you, you're, you, you're such a clutch. You're such a clutch. You're not worth it. You're not worth it. Nobody loves you. Nobody loves you. Nobody loves you. The devil has been doing that to you since you were a kid. He has been in your ear playing those tapes over and over again. Nobody cares for you. Nobody cares for you. You're such a close. You'll never amount to anything. You'll never amount to anything. You, you may hear it in your dad's voice. You may hear it in your coach's voice. You may hear it in your own voice. The devil's real good at doing impressions and speaking to us in all of these lying terms and lying voices. And when we listen to that and we think about it often enough, it will bring you down, 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 do doo down, down, down. Why so downcast, O oh my soul? So if you want to get out of this depressing feeling and acting, you got to get out of the depressing thinking. you got to get out of this. How do you do that? You do that by transforming your mind. And you do that by transforming transforming your mind by washing your mind from these depressive thoughts many ways to do that now look sometimes sometimes there needs to be a chemical way some people need to have some medicine that will help them to combat those thoughts sometimes it's a it's a it's a relational way 
And you need to go and make some relationships right and ask for forgiveness and forgive someone else. Sometimes it's an emotional way where you can sit down with a counselor and you can talk and do talk therapy and talk and learn some emotional skills to think the right thoughts. But often it's a spiritual way. In the spiritual way that we wash our mind, the Bible talks about washing our mind by the water of the word, is, is I choose to not dwell on worry. And I choose to dwell on God's word. Listen, how many of you know how to worry? Anybody know how to worry in here? Some of us are professional worriers. We've been worrying since, since we're. And here's what worry is worry is when you think of a bad thing or you think of something that could happen and you think of it over and over again. Oh, I just don't know if we'll have enough. I don't know if we'll have enough. don't know if we'll have enough. Don't, I don't know if they'll come back. I don't know if they'll come back. I don't know if he'll. You know, and, and we just, we over and over, we think of it over and over and over again. That's worrying. If you know how to worry, this is great news. If you know how to worry, you already know how to meditate on God's word. Because meditating on God's word and worrying are the exact same thing, just in two opposite directions. Instead of, I don't know if we'll have enough, I don't know if we'll have enough, I don't know how if we'll have enough. What we do is we combat that by focusing on, on a truth rather than a lie. And we say, my God shall supply all my needs. My God shall supply all my needs. My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. That's a verse in case you didn't know. Okay? And if I memorize that verse, my God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. Then when I get to the end of the month and I realize, oh, I don't know if I'm going to have enough. I don't worry about that. I don't say, I don't know, I don't know if we're going to have enough. Instead, I go, whoa, whoa, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. And if I think of that over and over again, it change. Listen. When I am thinking God's word, that truth, then I don't have anything to worry about. And that leads me out of that fog of depressing thoughts. God has given us so many promises. So many promises of benefits of meditating on his word. I could give you 20 scriptures just on this. I'm just going to give you three of them. Psalm 119.11, I have hidden your word in my heart. That I might not sin against you. If I meditate on it, hide it in my heart, I don't end up sinning against him. So Philippians 2.16, which is, by the way, what we're studying right now. Hold firmly to the word of God. You've got to have a tight grip on it. Psalm 119.35, make me walk along the path of your commands. For this is where my happiness is found. Look where happiness is found. You see, that's the problem. We've been looking for happiness in all the wrong places. You know, like looking for love in all the wrong places. Yeah, we've been looking for happiness in all the wrong places. God says happiness is found in keeping my commands. So that's the fourth, the maintaining the joyful heart. Memorize God's word. Get a hold tightly to the word of life. One more. The fifth exercise that I've got to integrate into my life daily or weekly. And we talk about this one a lot, too. And the reason we talk about this one a lot is because it's in God's Word over and over again. Number five, I need to use my life to serve God by serving others. If I'm serious about being joyful, if I'm serious about having a happy and a joyful heart, then I need to use my life to serve God. And I do that by serving others. The only way I can serve God is by serving others. You can't even see God on earth because God's invisible. Now, one day we will be in heaven with him and we will see him as he is. Right now, you can't see God with your physical eyes. So how do you serve a God you can't even see? You serve God by serving others. Jesus is the one who tells us this. He says, I tell you the truth. When you did this, when you did it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. In fact, Jesus even says when you offer a cold cup of water, 
to one of these, you are like offering me a cold cup of water. Now, let's be honest. If Jesus came to your door, and it was Jesus, and he said, I, I, I'm thirsty, I need some water. How many of you would just love for that opportunity to have, to actually give Jesus a cup of water? Can you imagine giving Jesus a cup of water? You're my Savior. You've done so much for me. You can tell he's thirsty, and, and you give him, I mean, I would be like, is, is our water good enough? I mean, don't we have like, where's the Aquafina? You know, where's, you know, isn't there better water than this? You know, isn't there more like, you know, isn't it, what, what's that Fiji water? That's a $5 water. Give me that $5 water, you know, because we're thinking to ourselves, you know, tap. I can't give Jesus tap water. Come on. You know, I'm not giving Jesus my well water. You know, you, you know, Sam's water. This is cheap water. That's why we got it at Sam. You know, give, give me that expensive water. We would love to be able to give Jesus water. You can't give Jesus a cup of water, but he says if you give Je- if you give water to these other people who are thirsty, it is like giving it to me. Now, none of us would turn down Jesus for water. None of us would be like, oh, sorry, Jesus, we're out of water. You know, you, the hose is right over there. None of us would do that. But those people we will turn down, Jesus says, no, that's, those are the ones. Tell you the truth, when you do one least of my brothers, it's like serving me, God says. So how does this bring happiness into, into our life? Here's, I'm going to tell you why. I don't know. Maybe this is new information for you. Maybe you didn't know this. God created the universe. Did you know that? God created the universe. And when God created the universe, he set these laws in place. Gravity. You didn't, do, you didn't invent gravity. Scientists didn't invent gravity. They barely discovered it, finally. God invented Gravity. You don't have to understand gravity. You don't have to believe in gravity. It doesn't matter. It's a law of the universe. You can't break the law of gravity. It will break you. Jump out of an airplane without a a parachute. I don't believe in gravity. Splat. Tell Jesus we said hi. Right? You can't break the law of gravity. And here's the thing. God has created a law that is even more important than gravity. His law is you will not... the way to happiness is you give your life away. You serve others. Happiness does not, this is the law of life. Happiness does not come from salary. Happiness does not come from status. Happiness does not come from success. We all know people with a lot of salary, a lot of success, a lot of status, and they're not happy. Why? Because God says happiness comes from serving others. It's a law of life. You say, well, how, how come? I'll tell you why. God has a reason. We know the reason why. It's because when we serve others, we are more like him. That's his goal. God's like, how, how can we make this as an incentive for them to serve others and be like me? Oh, I know. I'll give them joy in their heart when they serve others and they become like me. You, I, we don't know why he made gravity. Why did he even make gravity? But we know it's there. Well, here's why he, he made this a law of the universe. You are most joyful. It's a law of the universe. You are most joyful when you are sacrificing your life, when you're serving and generous. Those are the two keys to joy in life. Not because God said so, but because God created it so. You say, well, I don't believe that. It doesn't matter. You don't change it by not believing it. You want joy in your heart. You want joy in your life. You get that by serving, giving your life away, and by being generous. With your stuff. Mark 8 says, if you try to hang on to your life, this is Jesus again, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. It's the fifth secret to a joyful heart. Now, 
You've got to practice all of these all the time. Serving, generosity, thankfulness. The last couple of verses of 17 and 18 says, But I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will, and I will share your joy. Your faith makes you offer your life in sacrifice and in serving. Those two words, sacrifice and serving, gives you lifelong happiness. Now, here's the thing. Let me close by telling you this. Before you go work out at the gym, you're supposed to go to the doctor to get checked out, right, to make sure you don't have any preconceived illnesses or whatever. You know, just every exercise book, every diet book says, hey, before you do this, you know, so we don't get sued, before you do this, Make sure you go to the doctor and get okay to make sure you don't have a heart condition. You don't have a heart problem. Pre-existing. Well, here's the thing. All of us, I can tell you right now spiritually, we definitely have a heart problem. We have a coronary disease. It's called sin in our life. And that's why before you go doing these exercises, you've got to get your heart healed. The Bible, this is what I love about the Bible. The Bible is just so honest. Even when we don't like it, even when it's hard to hear, the Bible tells us the truth. And the Bible tells us that, look, your heart is often sick. It's often deceptive and discouraging and cold and calculating. Because we have this, this heart disease spiritually that many of us, we need a heart transplant. Now, I'm gonna, I want to recommend to you my favorite heart specialist. He's a great physician. His name's Dr. Jesus. And let me just tell you why I like him so much is, first of all, Jesus, he's a heart specialist. He makes house calls. He's never lost a patient, no, not one. He, he doesn't charge anything. You don't even have to have insurance. It's all grace. Uh, there's no weight. He'll, take, he'll, he'll deal with that right now. You can, you can see him. The main thing is that he specializes in heart transplants. You get a whole new heart. Now, don't take my word for this. All the way back in the Old Testament in Ezekiel, look what it says in 36:26. It says, and I will give you a new heart, and I will put a spirit a new spirit in you. I will take out your own stony, stubborn heart, and I will give you a tender, responsive heart. If your heart has been cold and hardened because life has, has just beat you up, then my, my recommendation, I'm begging you, ask Jesus for a new heart, a joyful heart. Because before you can have joy in your heart, you've got to have a new heart. He doesn't just patch it up. He gives you a new one. That's what he says. How do you get it? Last verse on your outline, Acts 4.12. There is salvation and no one else. God has given no other name except Jesus under heaven by which we must be saved. Why don't you pray with me? And I told you as, as we explain these five exercises in Paul's workout for joyful heart. First, you got to work out. You, got to, you can't work something out unless God works it in first. So first you've got to let God work in salvation into your heart. Maybe you've gone to church your whole life. Maybe this is your first time to church. It doesn't really matter. You may be religious. Maybe you grew up like me, Catholic or Baptist. or Maybe you grew up Jewish or Buddhist or Mormon or, or Muslim or no religion at all. Or maybe you came in here and you're an atheist. You still need a heart transplant. You need a new heart. Because salvation can be found in no one else except Jesus. In all the world, there's no one else that God has given that can save you. 
You don't earn salvation. You don't deserve salvation. God gives it. He works it into your life by faith freely. So, if you want to do that, you just say something like this. You pray, and you say something like, Dear God, I need a new heart. You don't even say it out loud. Just think, Dear God, I need a new heart. Mine has been broken and battered. It's embittered. It's been fearful. And I need a heart transplant. So, dear God, I want you to make me a new person inside. I want you to heal my heart. Jesus, can I ask you to do heart surgery on me today? My heart has grown cold and hardened by all the circumstances, the darkness of our culture in this world. God, heal my heart. As much as I know how, I ask you to come in and give me both the desire and the ability to do the right thing. Lord, I can't do any of this workout first until you first done the working in. So I'm asking you to save me. And I put my trust in you. And I want to learn to love you, and I want to learn to follow you. Or maybe you're here, and it's like, I want to learn to love you again and follow you again. From this day forward, the best I know how. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. It's Mouth. I hope you're enjoying the joy ride we're currently on. We have a lot of practical steps we can take this week to develop a more joyful heart. I've seen firsthand how much being grateful and focusing on the needs of others can impact my life for the better. We'll be praying that you can make progress in some of these steps in the week to come. See ya.